0: Brother Albert, thank you for reading Nehemiah I, I couldn't contain myself. I couldn't wait to get up here. How do you rebuild broken hearts? If you have a broken heart today, what is the process that you want to lean into? Well, after 70 years, the exiles of Israel were broken. They were living as prisoners of war. They lost their identity. Who are we? Where's Yahweh? Where's our God? How are we different from everybody else? And after 70 years, God sovereignly, miraculously brought them back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was tasked to do a few things. One of the things that he was tasked to do is rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But his biggest task was this, to rebuild broken hearts of the Israelites. So what does he do? He gathers all the people together. And what do the people ask? according to the reading in Ami 8. They get Ezra, the priest, up there, and they said, Ezra, bring the book. Let us hear from God. This is where they turn to, we need to hear from God. Ezra, the priest, read from the law of Moses, and a team of Levites explained and applied the word to the people. There's power there. There was a reaction, there was conviction that came upon the people they started weeping. There was correction that was given through the word of God. But the Levites explained and Ezra said, take comfort. This is a holy day to Yahweh, your God. Nehemiah, this is what the Levites said. They read from the book, from the law of God, explaining and giving insight and to provide an understanding of the reading. Then all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions to celebrate with great gladness. Why? Evergreen Baptist Church. Why? Because they understood the words which have been made known to them. That's at the heart of preaching, church. Do we understand what has been read? Has it been explained? Has it been uh, used to encourage us, to correct us, to point us back to God? This is how you build broken hearts. And it's neat to see, even back in Nehemiah's day, there was a, the, the spirit of eldership was around. Where there was Ezra the priest who took lead. But there was a team of Levites of godly men who would help teach and minister the word and explain and apply the word to the people. That's the spirit of eldership. Even in the Old Testament. I'm just waiting for someone to say, Hey Rocky, bring the book! That's, I'm waiting for someone to say that one of these days. Maybe you're a new person who's not as shy, you know what I mean? You might say, hey Rocky, bring the book. And I said, Okay, you got it. Because God's word rebuilds broken hearts. This is where you turn to. You don't turn to anything else. You turn to God's word. We're going to be at Titus chapter one, verse nine. We're going to bring the book today. And we're going to continue on with the Heartbeat of a Healthy Church series, the Heartbeat of a Healthy Church. And I'm going to read 5 through 9, Titus 1, 5 through 9, to give a little bit more context. But three qualifications for an elder. Three qualifications. Number one, elders have healthy homes. Healthy homes. Healthy marriages. And if they have married or if they have children, their children respect their leadership. Number two, the elders have healthy character to allow them to be healthy leaders. And today we're going to see the third quality, which is undergirded by the first two, healthy teaching. An elder must be able to teach the Word of God, minister the Word of God. So let's rise if you're able to. Titus chapter 1 verse 9, but I'm going to read from verse 5 through 9. That should be up on the screen as I read at a Legacy Standard Bible. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. I find it neat also how Nehemiah, everyone stood up to hear the Word of uh, of Moses being read verse five Titus one for this reason I left you in Crete that you will set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you namely if any man's beyond reproach the husband of one wife having faithful children who are not accused of dissipation or rebellious for the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward not self-willed not quick-tempered not addicted to wine not pugnacious, not fond of dishonest gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. Holding fast a faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to reprove those who contradict. This is the word of the Lord. Pray for me, church. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to pray. Lord, I pray your word will be set forth before the people in an understandable manner, in an encouraging manner, in a corrective manner, Lord. I pray your spirit will give us ears to hear, Lord, what you're saying through Titus chapter one, verse nine. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. What is a new pastor to do? Back in 2017, I met with a lot of people pastors in the church leaders people various people who are here still and people aren't here anymore various people with various uh concerns uh uh, interests uh, ideas that they wanted to continue to go on various ministries that were going on for years and years there were so many things going on i didn't even understand what was going on there were so many things But what was my number one objective? This was very clear. Even coming as a football coach to a pastor, number one objective was this. To establish a healthy pulpit. First and foremost, plant the flag here. And establish a healthy pulpit. And I was grateful Brother Tommy Amada made this nice wooden uh, pulpit. I wanted something sturdy. I wanted a, a symbol uh, of the cross where the word of God is faithfully, by God's grace, going to be preached week after week. Every time you see this pulpit, I want you to think about that. Something solid. Something that we could count on. This is an emblem of God's word coming to us. It's interesting, in Nehemiah, they built a podium for him. There wasn't necessarily a pulpit, but a podium. But Dr. Steve Lawson, our head of our program at the seminary, says this. Guys, there's more to pastoring than just preaching. That's what he says. There's more to pastoring than, than just preaching. He's 100% right. But he says this, but if you get the pulpit right, you get 50 other things right. If you get the pulpit wrong, you're going to get 50 other things wrong. And his point was this. The pulse and the heartbeat of the church flows from the pulpit. It starts here. It all flows from the pulpit. It sets the tone for the life and ministry of the church. I mean, think about it. How serious we take the word from the pulpit, how it's read, how it's sung, how we pray through scriptures, how we preach the scriptures sets a serious tone. I could feel it coming up here. I felt like the Lord was drawing our attention to hear, wanting to hear God's word. It starts with uh, Pastor Mako, the a service leading, the music, the scripture reader. The Lord was priming our hearts to want to hear from God. And it makes clear to Evergreen Baptist Church who we are, what we believe. We hear it together. This is not spoken in a dark room, whispered. This is shouted from the, the housetop. This is the highest point of where our church could speak. So as a church, we should know who we are and what we believe because we hear it together right now. In every teaching from ACE to children's ministry to Bible studies, to life groups, everything should complement what comes from here. I really appreciate it when some of our veteran ACE teachers check in and say, hey, this is what I'm going to teach. Is this what we're at as a church? Yes, it is, brother. Teach it. Preach it with full conviction. I love that. That's a certain level of teamhood, teamwork that these men get to making sure that the message is the same. That's good. That's good. Does this sets the tone for the quality of teaching. And I'm so grateful. Today I sat in an uh, uh, ACE class with Biblical Counseling. Brian Chia, brought, uh, Brother Brian, great job. Very clear. Teaching through Ephesians. T- just teaching us, applying it to our hearts. Very good. Very edifying. Thank you, Brother. And eventually, not just in classes, but what happens is this. When you have lunch together, when you grab a coffee together, when you just do life together, Ephesians 4, 15 says that we speak the truth in love to one another from the pulpit, from the classrooms, from the life groups into our interpersonal lives. This is how this works. It all flows from the pulpit. Therefore, church, we need to understand and recognize and come to an agreement what is healthy teaching. We need to all understand this because that was an issue when I first got here. I'm not quite sure we were all on the same page what healthy preaching and teaching look like. So I'm going to explain as best I can out of Titus nine on what this looks like. So three points. Healthy teaching is marked by enduring convictions. Healthy teaching is marked by enduring convictions. Number two, healthy teaching is marked by encouragements encouragement and third and finally healthy teaching is marked by edifying corrections edifying corrections so point number one healthy teaching is marked by enduring convictions verse 9 says holding fast the elders must hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching holding fast the faithful word to be devoted to to cling to the faithful word what is this talking about this is talking about the sure word the most sure word the bible Holding fast, clinging to this, mo- the most enduring source of truth. Uh, the Bible is timeless, church. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever, the, the Bible says. It's just like a marriage. We leave old loyalties. We leave mother and father and cling to our spouse now. We're starting anew. This is what elders do. We, we leave loyalties to the world's ideas and now we cling on to the Bible as our truth, as truth. Just like a marriage, we leave old loyalties and find new loyalties and they we're devoted to the Bible. Enduring convictions. So it is with elders. Elders must have enduring convictions about the Bible from the Bible. And at at Evergreen Baptist Church, let's make it clear, if you're a visitor, we are unashamedly saying that this is God's word. We want to be dogmatic about a lot of things, but we want to be bull dogmatic about the Bible, as my seminary professor says. We believe that the Bible, the faithful word, is inerrant. That means without error. The Bible said that it was God-inspired or God-breathed. God does not have any errors. So whenever you read it and understand it, it's all true. Number two, the Bible is authoritative. This is what tells us and teaches us how to live and teaches us how to know God and to live for God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. How do we follow Jesus? We obey his word. And third and finally, we believe the faithful word of the Bible is sufficient. We need nothing else. We need nothing else. It restores the soul, heals the heart, so that the man of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work, the Bible says. Therefore, the Bible is the only source of enduring convictions. Fads come and go. Fads come and go. Different ideas, things come and go constantly. But the word of the the Lord has been here and we'll be here forever. It'll never let us down. Where else would we want to turn to? Where else would you demand the leaders of the church rely on? It's all we got, church. It's all we need. To know God and to live for God. To know God and to live for God. It's the Bible. And what we teach and preach is this, which is in accordance with the teaching, uh, first, uh, Titus 1 Titus 1.9 says, this is talking about apostolic teaching. We teach orthodox doctrine, meaning there's nothing new that's going to come from this pulpit. Nothing revolutionary, nothing innovative. You don't want that from us. You want tried and true, old, good old-fashioned doctrine. You want to be able to hear what has been taught for hundreds, thousands of years since the days of the apostles. I wasn't here this past week. Uh, God graciously set up an opportunity for, for, uh, for the the Super Bowl team that I got to be a part of. We had a ten-year reunion back in Seattle, so the team flew us back up and put us in a hotel and had a few parties and things like that. And I ran to Coach Carroll, as you would expect, you know, and he asked me this, Rocky, how's the church? How's the church doing? You know, and um, I was reminded about why I'm not there anymore. I'm coming back as a reunion person. Is that he knows this? I know this. The reason why I'm not like a lay elder somewhere up in Seattle or another place is that I needed time to study the Word of God. I needed time to deep go deep into the Word of God. I need to be like Ezra, who was in Ezra 7:10, that he set his heart to study, to practice, and teach the law study, practice, and teach. Study, practice, and teach. This is what elders do. They're dedicated to the Word of God. Ezra 7.10 set his heart to study, practice, and teach. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15 Timothy, take pains with these things, meaning his teaching, the gift of teaching. Be absorbed in them. Be consumed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. So that The church in Ephesus could see that you're growing as a teacher, as a preacher. This is what you're supposed to do. He also says in 2 Timothy 2.15 to Timothy, Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, not to man, but to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Why? Because you accurately handle the word of truth. Accurately interpret it. Accurately uh, teach it well. This is what the elders need to be consumed with. And this is what we're consumed with. And we need to be absorbed and saturated with the Word of God. The elder's heart needs to be filled with the Word of God, the Word of Christ. So that the elder's heart is properly beating. You get the theme of the heartbeat. Where does the heartbeat come from? From the elder? No! From the Word of God. You see, the heart... The heart is the Bible. The elders are a vessel as to give the heartbeat, to ride the pulse for the church. And if the word of God is not deeply in the heart of the elder, he's not going to be able to beat properly for the health of Evergreen Baptist Church. This is the reason why we have committed to expository preaching expository preaching? You may be saying, Pastor Rocky, I'm new. What is expository preaching? Or you may be here a long time and say, Pastor Rocky, what is expository preaching? Well, Nehemiah 8.8 says this. Nehemiah 8.8. They read from the book. So we read Titus 1.9. From the law of God, the Bible, explaining and giving insight, explaining what does this Titus 1-9 mean, and giving insight, apply it to us, how does this relate to us, and, and they provided understanding of the reading. So explaining and uh, and giving understanding is at the heart of expository preaching. And we're, our hope is to find the authorial intent. What did Paul mean to say out of Titus? What was he trying to convey and communicate to the people of the day and so that we could bring it to our time today? That's the goal. In church, there's only one accurate meaning. This doesn't, what does this mean to you, Pastor Rocky, is an invalid question. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, it depends on who the pastor is. No, it's not. The Bible speaks. What is it trying to say? What is intended meaning? There's only one. There's only one accurate meaning. And I get it. There's a few disputed uh, verses, but overall, it's pretty clear. There's only one accurate meaning, but countless applications. The Holy Spirit takes this truth and applies it to what you're going through right now. This is what we're talking about. So, the pulpit provides the pulse for the church, the heartbeat for the church. And being up in Seattle, I was reminded of one heartbeat. One heartbeat. It was wonderful just to see players, some guys I haven't talked to in 10 years, to coaches, staff members. It was wonderful. It was really encouraging, church. I mean, the more you keep discipling people and 10 years later, 13 years later, 20 years later, people are still walking with Christ. That is uh, 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 like nectar from heaven to keep you going because a lot of the times it doesn't go that way. I understand that. But it's like nectar from heaven saying God gives you winks and kind of encouragement saying, Hey, look, these investments are still going. That's encouraging. And and that's really the joy of an elder because we have the front row seat to seeing how lives are changing through the ministry of the word. I love it. I love it. It's encouraging. Of course, there's some hardships, but those make it worth it in a lot of ways. And as, these, as I was relating to these relationships and, and, and reconnecting, guys had a good look in their eyes, believers and non-believers. They said, "It, co- not pastor, they said, coach, it's therapeutic to be up here. I think there's a level of uh, appreciation that they they appreciated, but I think what it was was being around like minded people. We didn't, don't get me wrong, we didn't always like each other now. Okay, we're highly competitive people. (laughs) We are, a lot of us, some of us are type A. It it gets kind of uh, rough at times. However, we looked at each other in the eye and we had similar convictions. We shared common oneness. We had unity. We were all in for the cause. We had a central theme it's competition. We're all competitors. If you weren't a competitor, you're probably not going to be there very long. I mean, that's just, we, we just looked at each other and appreciated that we shared one heartbeat. We're moving in the same direction. And so it is with great teams, great championship teams. If you don't have that, you're not going to win. And so it is with great churches and healthy churches. We need to have one heartbeat. And so it is with great elder teams. The elders must have one heartbeat. So who are you looking for an elder? Of course, godly character. we Are you looking for healthy homes? How are they leading wives if they have wives? How are they leading the children if they have children? But there's more. I call this the funnel of conviction. Think about a funnel, right? A funnel of, of conviction. Meaning, if you're a visitor, God bless you. We're so happy that you're here. Please keep coming. You may not even be a Christian. We're so happy. And what we believe here at Evergreen Baptist Church is this. We believe that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. Jesus Christ, God himself, died on the cross. Took on the punishment that all man deserves. And by believing and trusting him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved and you will be in God's family. That's what we believe. So I pray that that special note for you touched your heart in a special way. And maybe you're an attendee. And chances are, if you're an attendee, the funnel gets a little tighter. You're here week after week because this is agreeable to your soul. And you you might have been here for decades. I'm not quite sure why you wouldn't be a member by now. I mean, we have Membership Matters this Saturday. So contact Pastor Jeremy. Because basically, as a member, you get the soul care Maximal soul care that you would like to have. And you get to provide soul care for others in the church. We define the, the relationship with the one another. And as a member, you're a former member, you embrace uh, and, and wholeheartedly, enthusiastically embrace a statement of faith. And you embrace how we define relationships with one another. It's being in intentional relationships that build Christ likeness. You embrace that. And then if you're a ministry leader, things get tighter. Of course, you're a member. But not only that, you're enthusiastic of the direction of the church. Why would we have people leading ministries if they're not excited for where the church is going? It doesn't make sense. And then finally, the funnel gets really tight when it comes to elders. Elders must be unified in doctrine. Elders must have unified, enduring convictions. We must have the same heartbeat. We must have the same message. We can't be teaching uh, different type of messages. We must have similar convictions because convictions lead to actions into our words, into our teachings. Particularly doctrines that govern the life of the church. Of course, the orthodox teaching of does this make, are you a Christian or not? But other doctrines that govern the life of the church. We need to be on the same page. Because if we have members of the elder team beating at different places, we're going to have an irregular heartbeat. We're going, to, we're going to suffer a spiritual heart attack, right? We don't want that. We want to be beating together in unison, in, in, in the proper cadence. And having sharing similar convictions does that. Does that. Okay, so that's kind of what we're looking for in the elder in terms of doctrine. And it, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. You may be a godly man. We have an amazing home, but if we are contrary on certain doctrines that keep us from being unified, then not now. Not now. But also, I'm also, I want to share this as well. You may be thinking, I'm not, I'm not a seminary-trained person. You know, and, well, this is kind of also what I'm, what we're looking for is, are you coachable? Are you teachable? Do you want to learn from more seasoned elders to have the same convictions? That's a good thing. If you're not coachable, if you're kind of resistant, if you're not really on board, probably not an elder. Probably not, not for now at least. Let's go to the second point. Healthy teaching is marked not only by enduring convictions, healthy teaching is also marked by encouragements. Encouragements. Let me read verse 9 here. Holding fast a faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. Why? So that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine. Exhort literally means to come alongside. This is the word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit as the helper, the advocate, the comforter at John 16. That's what the Spirit does. He come, comes alongside believers. And really, exhort, the best way to, to define it for us to understand is to encourage. To encourage. Teach, therefore, teaching from the pulpit, from ACE, from Bible studies, it should be encouraging. And what what does encouragement do? It instills courage. It instills courage. It also, encouraging teachings, comforts one another. So hopefully the teaching that comes out of the pulpit and other places is encouraging to you. I mean, oftentimes, I know this is the heart of the teachers. I know this is my heart. I'm thinking, and I, I say, I hope this doctrine encourages this sister going through this. I hope this promise comforts this grieving parent. I hope this truth of God emboldens this brother who needs to step up. I'm thinking these things as I prepare these sermons. I remember before games, we would have pregame speeches, you know, and Coach Carroll's a master at that. He, he could get people to want to run through a brick wall. But there are some speeches that I heard, not from him, but from, from others were. You get emotionally charged, and then you get on the field, and whack, whack, whack! You get hit in the face, and you forgot everything that happened. It's like whoa. This is sometimes pregame speeches could just be hot air, and the reason why pregame speeches could be just hot air because they're grounded on nothing. It's just emotional. It's just like let's go. That's good sometimes, but you need a little bit more than that. you need substance. Coach, remind us, remember how talented you are. You're the best. Remind us how you've been trained. Trust in your preparation. And also know this, you're not alone out there. You have 10 other guys that are with you. Execute the game plan. We know exactly what we need to do to win. I mean, that, that's an encouraging uh, talk that grounds it into some type of substance. So it is with Christian encouragement, though substance-less substance messages evaporate. Unless your messages are grounded in truth, it's just sentimental messages. makes you want to cry or makes you kind of happy or sad in that moment. Just emotional. When trials come, you get hit in the, in the spiritual face, you forget. You forget. I mean, elders are not motivational speakers. Although I know I have a certain level of motivation in me, elders are not just motivational speakers. Elders are not life coaches. This is not what elders do. But verse 9 says, in sound doctrine, exhort or encourage in sound doctrine. Healthy doctrine. Elders must encourage with healthy teaching. So, then elder must be at the point, chapter, and verse and why you're encouraging him in that way. Encouragements must be grounded in truth. Paul twists A friend and seminary professor says the indicative fuels the imperatives, meaning the indicative is basically statements or facts about God. We need to hear about God. We need to hear about Christ. We need to hear about what he's done. We need to hear about his promises. We need to hear about his character. We need to hear about what he's doing right now in heaven to come get us. Imperatives are the commands. Be faithful to your wife. Children, obey your parents, right? These are imperatives, these are commands, these are doing so. It's about knowing God more. Therefore, the teaching needs to be doctrinal. The teaching needs to be healthy. I mean, what could be more encouraging for a believer than to know God more? I've heard this, just, I heard this before. Hey, pastor, just tell me how to live. That's not enough. Because if that's all that we focus in on how to live, you're going to basically get a dry, legalistic uh, church, you're going to get a dead, moralistic church. You're going to just be a bunch of people who just want to live pragmatic lives. That's not it. There's no juice there. There's no spiritual juice there. Christian life is absolutely supernatural. Unless the work of the Spirit comes, nothing happens. Unless the, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen build, uh, watch in vain. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders build in vain. It's the work of the Spirit who builds a church. But the, the Christian life is supernatural, but it's not overly mystical either. We could go there too much sometimes as a church. We're, we go, we'll go off of feelings and experiences. It's kind of, I'm not sure. That, that's, Christian life is much more clear than that. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ, amen? Faith comes from hearing what the Bible has to say. And what happens is the more we know God in our minds and basically the Spirit takes it from our heads and applies it to our hearts and the Spirit brings to remembrance what you have been taught about God, what you've been taught about Christ, the promises of the gospel. This is how God does it. If you don't know God very well, how can the Spirit take that and apply it to your life? And he encourages us, the paraclete encourages us the, the advocate when we need it, so elders must be able to teach first Timothy three two says that is what an elder must be able to do. so what does that mean right so you'd be sitting there, maybe you're stirring your heart thinking maybe i'm I'm supposed to be an elder of evergreen Baptist Church, but I 'm never going to get up there and preach like that. you may be, you might be right, some of us are gifted to preach, some of us aren't, but let me. Set the expectations, okay? First Timothy five seventeen says this, the elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor at preaching the word and teaching. So preaching is a way to minister the word, and certainly I, I believe there's room for a senior pastor to be the main preaching pastor. All right, that's kind of this we understand that. But also ministry of the word happens through teaching. There's a difference between preaching and teaching, right? This is preaching. There's a lot of exhortation. There's a lot of uh, uh, appeals here. But teaching could have that too. But teaching, when people are able to communicate godly truth to you, in the ACE classes, in Bible studies, in the youth, college, children's ministry, those are all teaching ministries. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't even do that, and I, I can't even see myself doing that. Well, maybe you meet up with a brother or sister, And the ministry comes through the counseling of the word. Preaching the word, teaching the word, counseling the word. Where you sit with them and all of a sudden, what you're going through in your marriage, you feel so much more encouraged because this brother is able to just explain truths of the gospel to you. Man, I'm still under duress, but I feel more at peace. That's ministry of the word. That's why we believe in biblical counseling. That's why we're trying to increase what happens in the interpersonal conversations with one another. And then fourthly, maybe you own an a, a interest and ability for doctrine and you could spot out error. A, per, a protective ministry of the word, you're protecting the church from error. So understand this, we're all not gifted in the same way. But elders can minister the word in their own way. Right? So some of us could do multiple of those. Some of us maybe one or two or three of them. But that, let's just lower the expectations a little bit, okay? And like I said, are you coachable? Are you teachable? This is what we want, unity amongst the eldership. Finally, let's get to our final point here. Healthy teaching is like a double-edged sword because like, encouragement is one side, and now here's the other side of the double-edged sword. Healthy teaching is marked by edifying corrections, edifying corrections. Let me read verse 9 so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and, here it is, to reprove those who contradict. To reprove. That means to correct. That means to expose error. That means to convict those who contradict uh, orthodox teaching. That means you help People understand they're believing lies about God, yet they have false expectations about God. That means that they've been sitting under sound teaching, reading books that they shouldn't read. Just because it says Christian doesn't mean it's Christian or good Christian teaching. That means that you've been absorbed with aberrant teaching. Elders don't want that for the sheep here. They want to be healthy, secure, confident, not unsure, very clear who God is and what he wants for you in your life. And this teaching is meant not to destroy, but to build up. Therefore, it's edifying teaching. And it's still sound doctrine. It's still based on sound doctrine. So basically, you expose the error. How do you do that? You flash the light of truth to it. Healthy teaching tests every thought with the truth. And in other words, you put up the, what you believe against the light. Like, is this jiving with the light or not? Does this fit and go fit with what the Word of God is saying? The sound doctrine. And our hope is this: elders would hope that the church will develop a greater level of discernment for error. What did Pastor MacArthur say is the greatest need in the church today? Do you guys remember that when he came into the QA up here? He's a discernment. We, the church lacks discernment. We believe everything that just has a Christian label on it. That's true. And in the information age, calls for greater discernment. We need to be able to see that's true and that's not true. That's what di- makes us distinctly Christian. We're people of truth. Right? Why do we correct? Why do we correct? Satan is a father of lies and he's sprinkled in lies through every single church and basically he wants to cripple the church so we're distracted so we have multiple, multiple interests multiple, multiple views on theology multiple, multiple views on what discipleship looks like we do not confront sin we still hang out with sinners unrepentant sinners and we flaunt ourselves with them still that's what Satan does when we don't have a right view of the gospel. That's what Satan does. And it's throughout Old Testament, New Testament, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, false prophets, false shepherds. I mean, God calls uh, leaders to confront false teaching everywhere. In the New Testament, certainly, Paul is saying it right here. And throughout the pattern of church history is to protect. Let me give you an example before we finish the sermon here. Creeds and confessions. Creeds and confessions. Creeds basically ground us and guard us from error. They ground us and guard us. And, and, and creeds were developed in response to heretical teaching, even in the early church. Therefore, there's affirmations of what we believe as Christians and denials. And the Nicene Creed, I'm going to just give you this was in the 300s, 325, I think, A.D., in response to the Arian heresy, the Arian heresy said this: that Jesus Christ is a created being. Some people believe that today. They're called Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Jesus Christ is not God. He is not eternal. He was created in a point in time, and Je- therefore Jesus is eternally subordinate to the Father. This is Arianism, Arianism, Arian teaching. So this is what the Nicene Creed said. Look how clear it is. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible. And He goes into Jesus now. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten or from God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, the one and only begotten Son. That is of the essence of the Father. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, meaning Jesus Christ is from the Father. As we see, John 3, 16, Jesus sent the Father Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. You hear these things in Hebrews chapter 1. It says this, begotten from God, but not made. There's some correction going on there. The, the, the Church fathers are attacking the Arians. Not made, being a one substance with the father. Same substance, same character. In other words, Jesus is God, and Jesus is the creator of all things. It goes on to say, so you see this in church history. This is how we've been able to be orthodox for 2,000 years because courageous men and women have been able to confront error. Well, now let's apply that to ourselves, edifying corrections. I heard Vodi Bauckham say this. We don't correct one another because of the 11th commandment. <laughs> you should be sitting there like, what do you mean 11th commandment? Are you teaching us? It's a joke. It's a joke. There's 10 commandments. 10 commandments, right? 10 commandments. But the 11th commandment, Vodibachum kind of jokes, and thou shalt not offend. Thou shalt maintain peace at all costs. Elders are spiritual fathers. If you're thinking about elders or elder candidates, they're spiritual fathers. Just like a father, you would correct straying sheep. You would lovingly enough protect the sheep from false teaching and false teachers. You will confront these things. If a man came into your home Fathers, you will protect your wife and your children from this person. This is what elders do. They're spiritual fathers of the church. Think about men in the church who's been doing this already. Lovingly, who have been confronting error. Who's that been? Privately, publicly, I'm not sure. Think about those. Maybe this is an elder for our church. And really, we're all called to do this, right, church? Whether you're elder or not, we're supposed to protect each other, speak the truth, in love to one another. I think that's a cultural thing that we need to grow out of. Some of us have more of a cultural mind instead of the biblical mind on this. We need to be able to talk to each other. Sin and error. I'm going to finish off with this quote. You'll like it. This kind of segues into next week's sermon, so you've got to come back next week. It's not a part two necessarily, but it relates. John Calvin, the reformer, says this, The pastor ought to have two voices. Two voices. One for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. Two voices. The scripture supplies him with the means of doing both. For he he who is deeply skilled in it will be able both to govern those who are teachable, the sheep, and to refute the enemies of the truth. Therefore, since I'm talking to the sheep right now, my voice needs to be edifying, and if there's any corrections, it's to build you up. 2 Timothy two twenty four twenty five twenty six 25, 26 says this, And the Lord's slave, that's elders, that's me, must, be, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. That's what elders need to be. With gentleness, gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Those who contradict. And look what it, if God, if perhaps God may give them repentance, leading to the full knowledge of the truth. See that? It's to, it's to correct, it's to restore, it's to help, it's to build up. In verse 26, if you're trapped in error right now, this what it says. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. How are you held captive as a Christian to do his will? It's because you believe lies. You're not believing the truth. You're not believing the truth. Next week, you're going to hear the other voice. Next week, we're going to address the wolves, and the thieves. So make sure you come back. And it's just the next portion of Scripture from Titus 1. So in conclusion here, healthy teaching is marked by enduring convictions, the Word of God, healthy orthodox teaching. Number two, healthy teaching is marked by encouragements. Hopefully you leave more fired up for Christ and His Word right now. And thirdly, healthy teaching is marked by edifying corrections. If you felt pricked in your heart about something, know that the Lord wants to build you up Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it is so true. The sum of your word is true, you say. Thank you, Father, that your word is perfect, restoring the soul. Thank you that the testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise is simple. Thank you that the precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. Thank you that the commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. Thank you that the fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. It's timeless. Thank you that the judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. Thank you that your word is worth more than gold, even much fine gold. Thank you that your word is sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Father, I pray your word will give us a clear picture of Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. God's word is good. God's word is good. Coach, how's it going? I would say we're coming together as a church. We're way more unified. I feel the spirit of unity coming. It's incredible, is what I told him. We're still working, though. We're still working. We're still preaching the Bible. He just looked at me, and of course, that's always that way. You always got to keep working at unity. Now we have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper. This is a regularly scheduled event by the Lord himself where we give ourselves scheduled heart checks. And this is where we should be doing, giving ourselves heart checks daily, if not moment by moment. But this is where we do this monthly as a church. So everybody that you see coming to receive the elements, church, you should have confidence that they're taking communion in a worthy manner. And what does that mean? 1 Corinthians 11 says that we're called to take communion in a worthy manner. Otherwise, God will judge us if we're not taking communion or the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Number one, are you a genuine child of God? Are you a Christian? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you're not sure, and I've talked to some of you before who seem unsure, I said, why do you believing that you're a believer? Well, I felt like I was more of a Christian before when you had these programs going on, that doesn't make you a Christian. So if you're not quite sure about the gospel and that you're in Christ, just wait. This does not merit any extra blessing from God or anything like that. Just wait. Parents, if you're not sure about your children, just wait. This could actually hurt your children, discipleship of your children by lowering watering down the meaning of the Lord's Supper. It says in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 11, that some have even died and gone sick because God was punishing them for taking communion in an unworthy manner. The second way to take communion in a worthy manner is to come with a genuine heart. Is there any sin that you need to repent of? Is there any uh, uh, hostility that you hold towards another brother or sister? Are you still holding grudges? You need to repent. Are you thinking impure thoughts right now? You need to repent of these things. And come to the Lord's table with clean hands and clean hearts, right? So I'm, I'm going to uh, lead us in prayer right now. I'm going to lead us in a prayer confession corporately. And then towards the end or towards the middle, there'll be a time of silence for you to do business with the Lord. And then I'll close off the prayer and I'll give you instructions on how we're going to take communion. It's the same as every month, but I'm going to explain it for the benefit of our newer people. So let's pray, church. Father in heaven, thank you for this word out of Titus nine. Thank you how it's so clear that your word is a sure word. Forgive us, Lord, as a church, for not treasuring your word more. Forgive us as a church for not rightly handling the word all the time. Forgive us as a church for not obeying your word as the authority in our lives and s- keeping separate areas of our lives from you, Lord. Forgive us for correcting each other in not in an edifying way. Forgive us for weaponizing the word, Lord, to manipulate people. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible word, Lord. Now, church, in the quietness of your own heart, let's do business with the Lord for a few moments. Thank you, Father, for these things that we could repent of. And we know that your grace is greater than all our sins. Your mercy is more. Thank you. Father, now prepare us to receive communion, the Lord's Supper, in a worthy manner. Help us to cherish the cross. Continue to unify the heartbeat of Evergreen Baptist Church. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.